When I think of risk and compliance in any organization, my mind immediately thinks of issues related to governance, risk management, and ensuring that an organization has the correct structures in place to carry out its work in a manner that is lawful and according to solid policies that govern the industry in which it operates. Our guest assisted our conversations today is Laverne Forley. Laverne is a risk compliance officer at the ESCOM Pension and Provident Fund, EPPF, and she's been with the fund for 10 years and has over 16 years experience in the financial services industry. Laverne obtained a bachelor's degree through Wits University, where she majored in media studies and law. She completed a people management and leadership certificate with Wits Business School and obtained a postgraduate diploma in compliance management through the University of Johannesburg. She's currently completing her MBA through Henley Business School. We'll be discussing the work that she does with the EPPF, how she's navigated her career, and some of the notable areas that as a woman in risk and compliance, she's picked up, she's picked up on and can share. Welcome to Sister Without Conversations podcast, Lebron. Thank you so much for, enjoy- for joining us today. Good morning, Pumeza. Thank you for having me. It's really, um, I'm excited to be here and to be talking to you today. Me too, because, okay, let's jump into it. Like first, what attracted you to a career in risk and compliance, but what is risk and compliance? So yeah, risk and compliance is uh, one of those careers that don't necessarily feature very high on the list um, if you're you're in high school, you know, and you need to decide where you need to take your career. So um, the, the story was the same for me. The answer is a long one. It certainly wasn't on my preferred list of careers many years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, when I registered uh, to study at university. Um, I didn't even know it was an actual profession then. Um, so what I did was I majored in, in, in media studies and law. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, sorry, I'll just indulge you a bit on my, on my history and then I'll talk to the, the actual profession itself. Stress, yeah. um, so I majored in media studies and law and so I was either going to become a journalist or a lawyer. That was my plan. And the lawyer more so, you know, for the benefit of my father who felt... <laughs> Uh, you know, studying a, a Bachelor of Arts um, wasn't really going to earn me a lot of money. So, you know, that was the, the misconception um, many years ago. And so what I did was I studied um, those two majors and um, graduated quite comfortably. But life is something else, right? So I was not fortunate to land a job in either of uh, those fields, law or media. And, um, you know, any job was better than nothing many young adults were struggling to find work um, approximately 20 years ago. So naturally I accepted whatever job was um, or offer was available. And it was only, um, I'd say, uh, five years into my career when another woman, by the way, um, told me about the compliance profession and um, linked that to my, you know, my, my legal studies. And I thought, wow, here's an opportunity for me to actually, you know, get the exposure. And so my line manager at the time opened my mind to the prospects of becoming a compliance officer and, you know, a personal conversation about personal development and mm-hmm. my legal background ended with me volunteering at our company's compliance division. And the rest is history. So also, I mean, it comes as no surprise that I chose this career because I was always kind of playing a, an oversight role, um, if you will, throughout my childhood. If I wasn't a class monitor, um, I was on the student governing body, I was on the student representative council, the head prefect, um, and, and so on. So I think um, I gravitated towards this, um, this profession quite comfortably. 
what is risk and compliance? So uh, risk and compliance um, are sort of two functions mm -hmm. or two separate uh, careers, if you will. So a lot of um, industries or a lot of um, entities today are kind of combining the two, but they're really different. So when you talk about risk and compliance, you are talking about wearing two different hats. Okay. Um, from a risk management perspective, is about you know helping the organization to uh, manage risk, provide um, sort of assurance on on, on risk matters, um, where you know compliance is sort of more on the regulatory or the legislative side. So we do wear two hats, you know, at the fund, um, and 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 I think that's what I hold on to because it, it gives you that you know extra edge in your career <laughs> when you don't have to specialize in one or the other, but. There are obviously different, you know, schools of thought about combining mm -hmm. the functions. So, in a nutshell, risk and compliance uh, functions are there to provide oversight, mm -hmm. uh, to conduct monitoring, provide, you know, the board with assurance that, you know, the entity is um, playing by the rules, as it were. Um, you know, policies are in place. We applying, you know, we complying with the laws, um, and so on. So that's what the, a risk and compliance officer does. A lot of people. I think of a risk and compliance function as a police officer almost in the workplace. And hopefully we can move away from that, um, <laughs> that, that, that perception because we really just, you know, support functions and, and we're there to help the organization ultimately achieve its objectives. And then how we do that is we help, you know, management, you know, manage the risks um, that emerge, you know, um, as a threat to us, you know, achieving those objectives. So that's really in a nutshell what a risk and compliance, you know, officer does. And um, so, yeah, we work quite work closely with the management mm -hmm. and business in day-to-day -day operation. Mm -hmm. And like I said, the con compliance side, the compliance function is a lot more independent. So this is the part where I have to put on my, my other hat yes. and um, yes. kind of play a more independent role. Um, the risk and compliance function, if you know a little bit about uh, risk management, and I mean for the benefit of the young listeners, okay. is, um, is, is almost similar to an audit function, but not quite the same. Um, so a lot of people um, blur the lines and, and, and think of you know, the function as the same. But suffice to say, they're both assurance functions. Um, risk and compliance would be sort of more second line defense. If you talk about the defense models, you have management in the front as first line defense, then you've got risk and compliance and you've got your auditors. Um, third, and, and your actuary in our case would also be another assurance provider. So yeah, I don't know if that answers the question for me. So that it makes sense. It oh, does, because okay. I, I think I like how the how you use as in terms of like the, the first line of defense or the second line of defense and how you've broken it down in that way. Because I think a lot of the time when you look at certain roles, it seems very isolated. So I like how you've kind of combined and shown how each part, you know, supports the business. Because, you know, at, at the end of the day, you want an organization that's functioning, that's doing well. Um, that's you know take not just only producing the services and products but also taking care of the staff and following the letter of the law <laughs> to make sure they stay in business. Thank you, Fumez. I'm glad I could pro provide clarity. <laughs> no, thank you so much. And how like what are the challenges that you faced in this particular part of the financial industry when it comes to risk and, and compliance? And like what are you proud of having seen in terms of progress? And for me, I'm thinking about you know some of the you know, the issues that come up. I mean, I remember reading your article and you referred to 
um, the Lehman Brothers and you know those those kind of things that creep up and you know is it a case you wake up one day and it's like you have this challenge or it's certain measures aren't put in place like how does it all unfold I mean so first part of the question what challenges um, have you found you know that that you've that particularly you know thrown you or you found to be very like oh this is a great challenge let me jump into it yeah, so I mean, I think um, challenge is many, hey? Um, <laughs> the biggest challenge, I suppose, for me on a personal um, front was, you know, overcoming my own insecurities as a young uh, colored female starting at university. I mean, so when I talk about overcoming my own insecurities um, back then, is I found it terribly difficult to integrate into a world where, you know, people of different cultures and race were now coexisting. Um, and some people might be surprised, but I think this is the, the story for many, you know, other individuals who grew up in predominantly black or colored areas, uh, most I think for females. And at the end of the day, um, you know, the education was, was, was substandard for, for some of us in the, in the, uh, the townships. So that made me realize very soon on um, in, in my career, in my you know, in my tertiary career, that something is a mess here. And, and I think that, you know, made me develop some insecurities as well, which of course transcended to the workplace, um, whether people were intentionally discriminatory or exclusive in their behavior, or whether it was my own insecurities, you know, which resulted in me being less interactive is something I always <laughs> wonder about, because yeah. I had the platform. It's not that the opportunities are not given to me. And I think it was always a struggle for me to demonstrate my fullest potential because I felt um, insecure, you know, with my own uh, competence, in my own competencies with myself. So it was only when I really started working at the EPPF many years later, um, you know, that the topic of transformation and gender parity came up. So you ask about my personal challenges, and I think that for me has always been a challenge. And, and, and the light bulb moment happened when I started working for the fund uh, almost 10 years ago, where I said, wow, here's an organization who openly talks about transformation. Yes. It could also very yes. well have been the structure of you know, other organizations I would have worked for, bigger organizations, uh, where if you're working on the, you know, uh, the lower levels, as it were, or units because of the size of the organization, you don't get to be party to those conversations you know, at the top. So, so, but my experience was that is for the first time now, we are talking about transformation, gender parity, uh, which was almost an unspoken or forbidden topic, you know, many mm. years ago. Mm, so, and, and for EPPF, it is, it is a strategic imperative um, is to bridge the gap, you know, to be more inclusive and so on. Um, are we there yet? No, I don't think we're there yet. And I think every woman out there will say the same. And, 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 it's, and it's strange now with COVID, um, all of these gender issues are coming up again because you're finding mothers, for instance, you know, in the workplace, um, you're almost feeling like they're very under pressure now all of a sudden to take care of, you're almost working double shifts, taking care of work and taking care of the kids when they're coming home. Of course, there are men who, you know, um, you know, grown over the years, you know, to, to their challenge. So men are quite hands-on now yeah. than, than many years ago, but we're not there yet. Um, so when I talk about challenges, I talk about the transformation and I think my own insecurities. Um, but what's, what's wonderful to see, you know, in terms of progress is that 
that conversation is happening. Mm. And it's lovely to see that, you know, some organizations are now making a concerted effort. And also because, you know, um, you need organizations like, you know, or investors like EPPF holding companies to account. But, you know, companies are making a concerted effort to be inclusive and to involve, you know, women in the workplace to develop them, uh, more so black women in the workplace. So that's quite um, a comforting to see. And I'm very proud of the progress there. Where I do feel like uh, perhaps what we need to do um, to spend some more time is on the home turf. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm talking about, you know, women or men outside of the workplace mm-hmm. and how, you know, they can bring support to women who are expected to contribute to 100% of themselves in the workplace. There's a lot more work to be done. And I think um, this whole double shift, um, mm-hmm. you know, scenario is, is, you know, always we talk about it quite lightly and casually, yeah. um, you know, women and their superpowers, you know, us wearing our aprons it's and our powers. <laughs> It's just unkind and it's, it's unrealistic to expect women to be able to do all of that. Um, the times are changing and I, hopefully societal norms also can, you know, change. Or, you know, the narrative has to change and it starts with hubby's dad's uncles, um, you know, or men outside of the workplace. Um, some of the challenges from a, from a work perspective, and I think um, in the financial industry, you were talking about, uh, what are some of the challenges in, in, in my role as risk compliance? I think it's it's really challenging to foster that risk culture. So whenever you hear um, risk or compliance professionals talk, they always talk about the culture and getting the culture right. Mm-hmm. I think that's always been a struggle, but I don't know whether it's because, you know, the concept of risk and compliance manage is, is, is management is still fairly new or you know whether you know business just won't embrace embrace it and see the benefits um, of risk management so some of the challenges has been you know bringing the the culture fostering that culture mm-hmm. um, helping management see the benefit of even you know managing their own risks and not waiting for a risk person or a compliance person to remind you or to say hey let's sit down let's have a look at your environment what are some of the things that you can preempt you know you know, can you plan better around this specific uh, requirement and so on? I've said a mouthful, but yeah, I hope hopefully I've answered your question. <laughs> no, it's um, personal know, challenges. No, you definitely have, because I think even like just to touch on the personal challenges part, it's like it's so important, as you say, that you know, as much as we, you know, raw, raw women are amazing and we can do all things and juggle many things at the same time, but reality is, you know, burnout is a huge reality that we face a lot of the time and you know it hits you in different ways um everybody's burnout story especially like moms or um not necessarily only just moms but working women and you know i remember when there there was something um it was a conversation where the the question was like why are we always talking about working moms why aren't we talking about working men why aren't why isn't it equal? Why is it a case? Mm. Of, oh, women are so amazing. You take care of the home, you take care of the kids, you take care of the husband. It's like, but my husband is a grown man. Why can he not also be part of this whole thing of let's keep us afloat? And if I say I'm tired, it's not a, oh, but you know, put on your cape. <laughs> Just put it in the laundry, quickly exactly. wash it, put, a, <laughs> put it back on. And you're thinking, no. And I think a lot of the time, even when I'm, when I say I'm tired, I don't take it lightly because every part of Pumeza is tired. 
And the more we can actually say that without feeling like ashamed and feeling like people mm -hmm. will judge us, that will, you know, that will do so much for us. And to also ensure that men understand that we shouldn't get to a point where you have to articulate and explain what do you mean by being tired. It should just be a case of, okay, I got you. You know, let me let me jump in. Where do you need the support? Let me jump in. You don't have to ask me twice. So once that yeah. can happen, oh, the progress, <laughs> the progress. The progress, I tell you. And, and, and I think we begin also, you know, to bridge that gap in the workplace. Mm, yes. Um, where you know, finally we can talk about, you know, being equal in the workplace. I mean, we all want to get there. I don't want to be uh, forever known as, um, you know, the BEE candidate who mm. is also a professional. Can I not just be a professional? Can I not just be a professional without, you know, um, you, you know, the type, she's a working woman or yeah. working mother in the workplace. I am a professional, gotcha. uh, but our circumstances don't allow us, unfortunately. To, so we have a lot of work to be uh, to do still. Yes, but you know what, the, th the fact that we're talking about it and we're kind of just shining the lights on it and like we always just like talking about it. And I think there are people who look at it like who roll their eyes and be like, oh, not again. But it's fine. Like we'll still, still speak to them. We'll still listen. <laughs> we must still just keep pushing that narrative because we've got to make sure that we are heard. And and even in, in terms of, I mean, what you're saying in terms of the challenges within the industry itself, until organizations are also aware of the fact that risk and compliance, it's not like, Oh, we'll think about it later. You know, it's it's a think about it now because it has such ramifications on how you know how you do business if something isn't you know coming together right. And coming to your article that you wrote on um, corporate governance, I mean, the subject has come up so much um, during the global health pandemic, and you know, a lot of private companies as well as the public sector is being caught off guard a little bit. Well, a lot actually. Um, so when you think about things such as the King Report and how organizations can be more aligned when it comes to how they operate. What are the things that you know, that you feel that, you know, in terms of um, how risk and compliance are approached, what would you advise organizations that they can do better in terms of handling the certain things about operations so that they're not caught off guard when something does happen, that they will be immediately able to pick it up if something does not, um, does not fall in line with how they operate. Thank you, Pameza. Yes, you know, the, the, the King Report is quite close to my heart. I wrote that article uh, a couple of months ago, and I initially wrote it with the intention to, you know, to emphasize, um, you know, one of the outcomes, which was ethical culture. Yes. Uh, but let me talk broadly about, you know, the King Report and what it tries uh, to achieve. So obviously the King Report consists of guidelines and recommendations. Mm -hmm. Um, around practices that entities um, and their governance structures can then measure themselves against. Um, the code is in its fourth iteration, um, so it is more comprehensive and it does apply to both private mm -hmm. and public sectors. And what it ultimately um, you know, aims to achieve is to encourage companies to take, more, um, take a more proactive approach to corporate governance. Um, and that's ultimately with a view to achieve positive outcomes for the organization. Because mm -hmm. I think we all realize the importance that every single, um, you know, organization plays, whether it's in the economy, um, locally or globally. Um, there are four outcomes um, in terms of the code. The first is ethical culture. Mm -hmm. 
the second is good financial performance. The third one is legitimacy and, and effective control. What does it mean? High level. Mm-hmm. Ethical culture, obviously, is when um, there's ethical leadership. It means that you've got to have leaders who are absolutely um, deliberate about trust mm-hmm. and transparency. Um, and, and that has got to cascade down um, um, from the board right down to the lower levels of, you know, your operation. Um, and so it means that, you know, um, in, you know, individuals or leaders shouldn't be afraid to call each other out where, you know, um, the wrong thing is done. Because anything that looks remotely like it's not being addressed will not buy you, you know, any favor uh, from staff or employees and even members of the public. So if in order to, to demonstrate that, that et- ethical culture exists, you know, leadership should be strong about trust. The second one is good financial performance. So King says, if um, an entity's corporate governance is in order, good financial performance should follow. Right, so good financial performance is when um, the organization is sustainable um, and also it affects all stakeholders positively in the long run. Mm -hmm. So you're not only trying to achieve good positive um, financial performance for the entity itself, but you're obviously trying to achieve those positive outcomes because this entity plays a role in broader society. So there's a positive um, story for everyone and all stakeholders in the long run. That's what, what good financial performance is. Legitimacy. Again, one of the outcomes um, that entities can test is whether or not, you know, in the eyes of in, of the, in the eyes of society or the general public, um, this specific organization, um, you know, has a strong a strong reputation. Mm-hmm. So the outcome of social relevance and legitimacy is absolutely important, and um, that specific outcome does stem from um, the constitution where most juristic entities must demonstrate good corporate citizenship. So it is a constitutional requirement um, that entities demonstrate their their, their, um, ability to be a good corporate citizen. In other words, doing what is right, not only for the organization, like I said, but for society and and in in an environment um, within which it operates. Um, Effective control is the fourth outcome. That this outcome um, speaks to an organization's um, control mechanisms and, and um, the effectiveness of those control mechanisms. So, so what are the things that we're doing to make sure um, that none of the risks that we, we kind of preempt materializes? Uh, and so leaders must therefore have an appreciation for the importance of the various assurance functions and um, risk and compliance being one of it. Um, it must, you know, organizations must be, um, you know, deliberate about, about asking and finding out about the role of these assurance providers mm-hmm. and making sure that there's comprehensive coverage. So if you've got various um, assurance providers, the risk and compliance audit, make sure, um, you know, if you're sitting on the board, you understand mm-hmm. what that coverage plan looks like. What assurance are you asking them to provide? Um, across the operation of the business. And for starters, do leaders even understand the mandates of these assurance functions? Do you know what they're supposed to do and, 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 and what you're supposed to expect, um, you know, as an, as an audit and risk committee, for instance? What sort of report should you be requesting from um, those assurance providers? So that talks to effective con, um, control. Um, the one thing I just wanted to close off with regards to King is to say, 
it cannot be a tick box compliance exercise. Yes. And what we may have uh, been very guilty of doing in the past is doing exactly that and then sharing a very nice picture about how we, we're ticking all the boxes, mm-hmm. uh, we're meeting all the, you know, we're meeting, you know, we, we practice all of these principles or recommendations that King suggests. Mm-hmm. But when you're looking at the outcome and you're looking at what organizations, what comes out on the other side, you're not too sure um, that, you know, it's aligned, the story doesn't make sense. So it's very important for even board um, members, the governance structures of an entity, mm-hmm. to be very, very deliberate about monitoring outcomes. Mm-hmm. It should be a standing item on the, on the agenda where you check to make sure whether have we met this outcome ethical culture have we met a good financial performance outcome have we met the legitimacy outcome you know what 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 is the public saying about um, our organization are we achieving those mm-hmm. achieving those um, initiatives that we set out to achieve for that specific outcome effective control and so on so i think um, you know tick box compliance i say in my article will get you somewhere but not quite there okay. and um, yeah, leaders have to be deliberate about monitoring, um, you know, the entity's achievements in respect of those outcomes. So if it's a standing item, you start by having it as a standing item on your agenda, yeah. and then, you know, it will grow from there on. If it's a standing item, you immediately begin to monitor the KPIs that matter, mm-hmm. um, you know, make sure that, you, you know, the, the various initiatives of the projects even align with those um, outcomes in mind. I love how you shared all of that because I think even when you when you're talking about it in my mind I actually feel like that is how you approach it from an EPPF perspective and also how you and your team um, how you advocate for risk and compliance and its importance within EPPF um, how has the organization taken you on as your um, you you guys are the knowledge base you understand what is required I mean has EPPF just embraced that approach um, and they've allowed you to, to, to let your team lead the way and ensuring that risk and compliance from an EPPF perspective is something that you take ownership of and they trust you with it. Thank you, Bose. That's a very good question. And um, I think, yes, yeah, so to answer the question, our organization is very open to um, whatever guidance can be provided. I could with certainty say the buy-in is there, whether it's at the top or whether it's at the bottom. There's a genuine um, interest um, or desire even to want to comply with King. And I think it's important for um, even the experts in the business to understand what, you know, King tries to achieve. Otherwise, you're going to end up with that tick box um, compliance that I was talking about. So no, there definitely is a buy-in. There definitely is a desire to comply. Um, There are a whole lot of initiatives um, that we are busy with internally at the fund um, to achieve all of these outcomes. So our CE, for instance, is very relentless about um, you know, trust. Um, in his communications, he'll talk about trustodians, and you know, he's trying to drive that culture as well. Um, you know, that ethical culture. Um, and obviously, good financial performance has always been uh, one of the KPIs we, we, we're very strong about. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, a, as a retirement fund, we, we can't afford to drop the ball on this one. So, but what I could say is that definitely the buy-in is there. Um, the intentions are, are genuine, and and that's what you need. 
to be able to um, to achieve outcomes. Um, but I'm comfortable to say, you know, if you're looking at the outcomes, we definitely they short of us putting it on paper uh, and maybe doing that tick box exercise. Um, I'm happy to say that you know the you know the activities are are taking place. That's so awesome. yeah, we we don't have any challenges um, from that perspective. Um, it's so much more easier when you have business people who rely on your expertise, mm. and this is the thing about the fund. Um, they rely very much on your expertise, and you almost will get a little bit of a shock uh, when they ask for your your expertise, and you're like, okay, they're asking <laughs> yeah. me. But it's also the you know the structure of the fund. Uh, we don't have the benefit of having. Um, you know, a thousand compliance offices where, you know, you can put heads together. So you are it. You are the person they look to when they look for guidance. And thank goodness for experts out there in the industry as well. Um, you know, who can teach us about King. Um, you know, we, we the professional bodies we belong to, the Compliance Institute, the Institute of Risk Management. All of that information is out there. Really, any organization can empower itself um, by teaching, you know, or sending their, their their risk or their compliance officials or their experts on these, you know, learning interventions to get the information and then to apply it. So that's what we've been doing. Um, and thank goodness for the fund and, and the management. Um, you're kind of running your business and um, you know, you, you're learning what you're learning and you're bringing it back into the fund and you're applying it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I've, I've really had no challenges um, in this area. No, I love that. No, I, I, it's always incredible when when um, you, as you know, the custodian of a specific you know knowledge base or um, specific department, when you're entrusted and people just are like, okay, well, you're the expert. Um, guide us. And I remember there was a time I was obsessed with the King Report. <laughs> I have to say because um, there was you were yeah I was I was I found it so fascinating like some of the terminology I had to Google it because I was like I have no idea what they say yeah. here but um, the reason I got into it was because um, at my my work at the time there were some changes that were happening within um, you know in terms of corporate governance and we had to understand I mean I, I was junior at the time but I think. You know, when someone, when you start hearing about your reports in media and then you start hearing it in the workplace, you're like, okay, hang on a second, I should be paying attention to this. And it was <laughs> fascinating, like how it, it, it seems very, um, very complicated and very like in depth, which it is. But once you start unpacking it and you start looking at it from a, okay, let me, let me look at it from where the space that I'm in. Um, let me contextualize it. It was so interesting, but I could also see how organization can get tripped up because they think, mm-hmm. okay, we don't have to keep up with what's happening. We don't have to keep up with the next report. And it's like, no, 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 no. Keep up with what's yeah. happening in the, um, you know, in the report, in your industry, what changes are taking place because every little thing will impact you. And I feel that even as, as employees, sometimes we we sometimes have that thing of oh, somebody else is going to sort it out. That's 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 the Burns department, you know. I don't need to know that. Yes. And and the thing is, we have to know because you never you don't want to wake up one day and your organization is you know <laughs> in the headlines, and you know it's it's not for the good reasons that it's in the headlines. Um, but you need to also own up to you know take ownership of the the role that you play in an organization, no matter what level you're at. You know, be 
be involved, understand, ask questions where you can, um, and just, you know, take pride in understanding certain parts about, you know, the business that you won't necessarily be able to maybe use in that time that you're in, but you never know, later on, there'll be an opportunity and you can say, oh no, I know this because of X, Y, and Z. And if it's something that you're interested in, there's always opportunities to study further, whether within the organization or outside. So that was my King report, um, you know, like just sidetracking there completely, but that was just like my first, you know, experience with the King report and yes. it just, it's fascinating. So even when it comes up, even when your article came out, I was like, oh, okay, okay, awesome. I got to read this. And corporate <laughs> governance, corporate governance, no matter what um, industry in, no matter what organization, big, small, private sector, public sector, mm. we've, we've got to be under, we've got to understand it, we've got to be aware of it, because ultimately it impacts us, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, it does impact us. And, and you're so right, Pumeza, I mean, just, just um, on that, what you're just saying now mm -hmm. is sometimes we just complicate our lives unnecessarily. Yep. You know, when you read, um, you know, the report, you think, oh, this thing is so complicated. It really is not. If you take the time to sit down and read, mm -hmm. it's so carefully crafted, even the, you know, the recommendations that you can't get it wrong. And I think if there's, like I say, if there's a genuine interest yeah. and a deliberate desire, a genuine desire to want to do the right thing this should fall right into place. King should not be a difficult thing to achieve because if you're, if you're deliberate about, like I said, ethics and leadership and doing the right thing and your members and your clients um, treating customers fairly, you know, um, realizing that you have this prominent role to play within society even, you know, and, and what is it that you're giving back? So if you're on that, on that uh, journey where you just want to do good this uh, um, King application will be so easy for entities. And often, um, and, and it is a competitive advantage for a lot of entities who genuinely have a desire to apply King principles and practices because it does set you apart. Um, it's not a, a, an easy science, you know, ethics isn't something you can, you can achieve overnight, especially if you're working in an you know, there's mistrust or the relationship is a bit damaged, you know, between stakeholders, whether it's employees or, you know, members or clients and so on. So it, it takes some molding and it's, it's something that you need to kind of do. You need to embrace it as part of, uh, of, of life at, at, uh, in the workplace. So, um, yeah, and I think we, like I said, we complicate our lives um, unnecessarily. Uh, this is not rocket science. <laughs> if you go to read the King Report, it really is very simple to, um, to implement. And the challenging part is obviously making sure those outcomes are met um, because there you need to demonstrate that, you know, you, obviously the proof is in the pudding. You know, you need to demonstrate that all of those things that you ticked on your yes. list, you know, your yes. compliance exercise, that is actually meeting the outcomes. It's achieving those outcomes. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very um, excited about King. I'm glad you and I can have another uh, coffee session and then... <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Laverne, before we wrap up with you, I wanted to ask you, what would you say to a young woman who would like to enter this part of the industry, especially since it's quite male-dominated? Yeah, so I think there's so much to say. And, and I think the one thing I want to say to women is to 
stay authentically authentically yourself mm. let me say that again <laughs> to stay authentically yourself yeah. because what the world needs and what organizations need um is the presence of women it's a known mm. fact hopefully by now that women make better leaders mm. uh, they make better investors you know i'm working in the retirement fund space and you often hear women say this but that's so true so the, the first and the most obvious um you know thing that that women can do is so here's some 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 hints is to create um an opportunity where you can stand out where yes. you can you can create a long lasting impression from the beginning mm-hmm. um it is a challenge because you are in a room full of men um but there is an opportunity for you to stand out because you are the woman yeah. so 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 use that to your advantage build a network Uh, a supportive network, a network, especially if you know if you're in a male-dominated environment mm-hmm. or workplace. Uh, but use the chance to align yourself with both men and women. Um, you know, mentors that can help you along your your career path and so on. Um, create a healthy work-life balance. So some of the, the the hints are not my own. I've I've done some research as well. Mm-hmm. But create a healthy work-life balance. It's no a secret that women. in the workplace eventually become mothers in the workplace or caregivers in the workplace whatever the case may be you know those social societal norms or uh, roles that we play won't go anywhere so create a healthy work life balance for yourself uh, make sure those support structures are in place in my space i have three little um, young ones um all under the age of 6 right my eldest daughter is 6 oh, wow. <laughs> my my son is 4 my middle son is 4 and my baby is 2 years old oh. and i can tell you now without the support of um um my helper sarah i don't know what i would have been able to do because my husband also works a full time job so and and if covid has taught us anything it's that <laughs> those support structures are absolutely pivotal so do what you need to do to create that healthy work life balance or you won't be able to balance things i can assure you um just i've been out of experience now with 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 um covid um even our children have not had to stay at home or you know learn remotely who does the job or the role fall onto well, um, um it's it's mom yep. it's mom who also has meetings and mom who also has things to do um throughout the course of the day a very busy day that falls onto mom's shoulders so do what you need to do i mean there are many support structures um out there mm-hmm. um it is available and and if you if obviously i i say this is someone who's been placed i can i can afford to get the support structures but your support structure doesn't have to be someone you need to pay and thank goodness for grands and moms yes. out there you know yes. if that's going to be your support structure do what you need to um and then just one other thing i wanted to say obviously women do tend to be perceived as more emotional um yeah. or, or less decisive than men in the workplace but um because you're a woman it makes you um you know so much more uh you bring that diversity into the workplace you know because of your emotional experiences you bring that um if <laughs> there is a feminine touch 
yeah. um, that <laughs> yeah. this world needs. Eventually, we could get to a point where there's a nice balance, there's diversity in the workplace. But I think women need to see the benefits. They need to see the, the value that they can bring just mm. by being authentically themselves. Mm. And I think that would be the one thing I tell someone who's, um, you know, uh, looking to, to embark on a similar career journey where there's, um, <laughs> it's mainly male-dominated. But I can also tell you, I mean, I will end off with a, a positive note to say, I work in a, in a team um, of men only. Okay. So my boss is, is a man um, and my colleagues are men as well. <laughs> I've only ever worked with um, um, the interns and the men, the interns and the graduates that I've been mentoring mm-hmm. are all men. And, um, you know, they absolutely allow me to just be me yes. and I do the same. Um, and I think men have come a long way. But yes, um, we will keep pushing uh, the agenda, like you said, mm-hmm. until that that gap has been bridged. I love that. I love all of the things that you just shared. I truly, truly do, especially the authenticity part. Um, I think a lot of the time as women, we, we're encouraged, um, you know, there's that low-key encouragement that we get of that we need to change who we are in order to be accepted um, and not knowing that, you know, we're, we're good enough for, for the roles that we want to be in. We, we're awesome as who we are and we can bring in that uniqueness um, and just by being ourselves. So I love that you shared those, those things. Our last, question, our last question to you is, what do you wish 18-year-old Laverne knew then at that time that could possibly have helped her in her life journey? Wow, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, <laughs> so many things. Yeah. I think maybe two, two, two things. Mm-hmm. Um, there will always be opportunities in every undesired circumstance. Yeah. Um, if there's ever a quote, that would be, that, that would be my quote. <laughs> Is that whether you're finding yourself in a job that you wanted to do or you didn't want to do, whether you're unemployed, you'll be so much richer because of your experience. It, what all it requires um, is for you to see the opportunity in that experience because it's what makes us resilient, isn't it? It's what makes us unique, our individual experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even if, if um, so what I would have said to myself, <laughs> uh, because you know, I've been through many trials and tribulations as well um, over the years, but if I'd realized sooner that you know, there was an opportunity in every single um, undesired circumstance, um, maybe I could have, you know, made, I don't know, a lot more uh, progress along the way or quicker progress along the way um, because it's easy for you to go, oh, you know, I didn't want to do this um, and then you don't apply yourself. Let's say you end up in a job that you didn't want to do. Um, what, what happens is, you, you know, you're just despondent and you don't apply yourself. You don't see the opportunities and you waste your time. You're wasting your time doing something, number one, that you didn't want to do, but now you're not even, um, you know, better for it. You know, your experiences and, and what you could have learned by just, you know, you're capitalizing on the opportunity to learn from it. So that's number one. Number two would be, this is a big one for me. I think the sooner you step outside of your safe or your comfort zone, the sooner you begin to overcome your fears and the sooner you begin to feel secure in your own capabilities. Um, and, and that's what I would have said to myself many years ago. I, I grew up in a very traditional um, old school home where, you know, um, you speak when spoken to, 
um, as, as a young girl, you, you don't, you know, misbehave or, um, you know, you, you, you behave, you, you kind of have to behave and, and stay in a particular, uh, walk a specific, you know, a path. Um, but what I would have said is take more risks um, and come outside of your comfort zone. There's a lot happening in the world out there. Yes. And, and so don't confine yourself. Um, I'm not saying lose your, 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 you know, your traditions or um, those moral, you know, the values that have been instilled in you. What I'm saying is try to think outside of the box and come outside of your comfort zone. Um, and the sooner you do that, the quicker you, you, you overcome your fears. Um, and, and the sooner you begin to feel secure in your own capabilities, because the more you put to practice uh, what, what, you know, what you fear the most, um, for me, it was public speaking. Um, and in my role as, as, as a risk and compliance officer, all of a sudden I've had to do training and had to, had to stand um, you know, up front on the stage somewhere where I had to talk to wow. people um, mm -hmm. about a range of subjects. And had I not learned to expose myself you know, more often in that space, I probably would not have overcome the fear of you know, speaking in, in public um, and yeah, just interacting with, with other individuals in an open you know, space. So yeah, those are the two things I probably would say to myself. <laughs> no, as an 18 year old those are those are incredible because as you say them, i'm looking back at some of the examples like i have in my own life i'm like oh yeah could have could have done that too like especially the stepping out of your comfort zone as scared i mean look as long as you don't take unnecessary risks for the sake of taking them um you know it, it's stepping out of your comfort zone but taking like a calculated risk as much as possible but like you say it opens up so much um, in terms of new experiences, new opportunities as well, and just learning a little bit more about yourself. And I think that's something that we can never take for granted, just being able to learn more about who we are as, um, as women, as individuals, and also learning more about what we want, because we don't give ourselves the opportunity to kind of just, you know, learn about what Laverne wants, you know, as an individual in terms of your career as a woman, That's as so a family true. person, um, because you're always on the go, go, go. And all these outside voices do have an impact on the decisions that you make. So I love this. If 18 year old me knew those things, I would probably, I think I probably would have ended up where I am now, but maybe not taken a more scenic route. <laughs> But yes. in, in that scenic route, there were lessons. So it all worked out. So it's okay. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. <laughs> uh, Laverne, thank you so much for your time, for joining us and sister our conversations. I really, really thank appreciate so it. Um, this, this journey with the ESCO and Provident, Pension and Provident Fund has been so incredible. And just to have the conversations I've been having with you ladies has just has shown me a different part of the world that you're in but also just reminded me, you know, of certain, you know, life truths um, that, you know, you, you kind of think, oh, am I the only, buddy, the only person I'm thinking, thinking this and experiencing it? But we realize yeah. the more we openly share and, and allow ourselves to be vulnerable enough, we realize we all really on the same career, career path, life path, and we're figuring it out as we go. So, yeah. and it's okay. You know, nobody has all the answers and kind of figuring it out and learning and sharing as we go. So thank you so, so much. You know, you're most welcome for me. And thank you for providing us with a platform 
um, you know, to be heard and, and, and to speak. So, yeah, thank you so much also for allowing us to just, you know, uh, reach out to others who may be listening and um, have something to learn from our own experiences. So thank you very much for this opportunity. Thank you so much, Laverne. Have a wonderful remainder of your day and week. And you too. Thank you so <laughs> we'll, much. We'll, we'll chat about that King Report, uh, different coffee um, uh, session. Yes, we're going to do it. <laughs> Thank you so Thank you much. Lisa. Have a good day. You too. Take care. Yes, bye-bye. Risk and compliance isn't as scary as one would think it is. But there's so much to learn and understand, not only for those in positions of power, but for all individuals. Laverne reminded me of the comfort zone thing as well, as, you ch as we chatted about it towards the end. And as someone coming to our own slowly but happily, um, may we all be brave enough to step out of that comfort zone in the manner that we so choose. Thank you so much, ESCOM Pension and Provident Fund, for this journey that you've taken with Sister our Conversations. I'm learning so much about myself, about the industry, as well as the women who are part of it as well, who are really driving the change. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.